Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Bridging the Gap. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join us for Bridging the Gap. Bridging the Gap is such an amazing discussion with some of the best and brightest minds. And really what we're looking to do is, is help financial advisors in the entire industry just bridge the gap between where the industry and our business is today and where our industry will be in the future. You know, our goal is to ultimately help ensure that we all as financial advisors and financial advisor professionals, anything around this industry, that we stay up with the trends, stay up with the innovation and ultimately evolve our businesses to ensure the best experience for our clients in the years to come. There's so much change and there's so much noise in this space. And we ultimately just want to help to you know decipher which is the right noise to be listening to and what we can kind of silence. And you know, not everything's going to resonate. Not everything is going to be aligned maybe with your thoughts. And that's the beauty of it. And that's why we started Bridging the Gap. Because ultimately, my belief is that we need to create a community where we can all have conversations around the industry, what we are doing internally with our firms, what we're seeing with other firms, what we're seeing with the industry. And let's have conversations and let's create a community around this. And let's create a voice that is striving for one common goal, which is to make our industry as best and valuable to the end client as possible, right? How do we stay relevant? How do we continue to grow and evolve and be better? Let's not stay with the status quo. And there's no better way to do that than creating a community of the people that have the knowledge, which are the advisors and the people that serve advisors from a technology standpoint, from a custodial standpoint, from other partnership standpoint, and bringing everybody together to share thoughts, views, and ideas and have conversation about why we disagree or why we don't disagree or why we're aligned or whatever it may be. And it's ultimately all built around community. And that's what we hope that listeners are able to, to get from bridging the gap. And hopefully at, with every episode, I, I strive to help identify some actionable takeaways, some that you may want to use, some that you may not, but some that may spur another thought or an innovation or an idea that you can go and implement into your firm. And so I hope that that's what you get from Bridging the Gap. And I know that you have choices that you can make and how you want to spend your day and spending some of it here with us on Bridging the Gap. And it's an honor. That's that's for sure. It's an honor to have each and one of you to, to choose us to listen to. And you know, community is benefited by multiple opinions, as I've stated here before. And the way that we need to build community is that we need to get more listeners. We need to get more people talking. We need to get more conversations started. And so um, if you could, it'd be really appreciated to continue to build this community, to, to follow Bridging the Gap, to like the podcast, to subscribe on whichever podcasting app you like to use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, whatever it is, subscribe and share it and start conversations and start asking questions and providing your thoughts. Even if they don't align with me, I'm not going to take it personal, but we want to build community and let everybody see what we're trying to do for the greater good of the industry and ultimately the business. And today I'm really excited. And uh, it, this, this, this podcast guest, he, uh, for all disclosure, he does work within one of our businesses and He's an integral part of one of those businesses, which is our Benjamin business. Uh, it's Nelson Green is our podcast guest today. And, and I really wanted to have Nelson on today because uh, not to necessarily promote Benjamin, because that's not what this podcast is about. It's more to uh, share his journey to where he is today and what he's seen along the way. And his background is immense. He's been in the banking industry. That's where he started his career. Then he went to Black Diamond. 
And then he went to TD Ameritrade before coming to Benjamin. So he's seen both the banking side. He's seen uh, a wealth tech company grow and evolve and serve this advisor community. And he spent multiple different roles in there. And then he went to the custodial side to help advisors understand the tech environment and help it, them understand how to, to create this unique client experience from the custodian side. So his industry knowledge at such a young age is so vast and he's got so much experience to be able to share. And I thought that the podcast today had so many interesting points. You know, his experience from his bank that drove him to love this industry of someone crying on his desk is just, you know, gives you chills. And, and, and we've all experienced that type of moment as a financial advisor, and it's really incredible. Um, and he puts perspective of why we're so important as financial advisors. 80,000 hours is something that I want you to keep a listen on and, and how he alludes to that. He talks about the three verticals of why adoption of innovation is so difficult in this industry, talking about cost, disruption to the business, and the learning curve. Uh, he gives some shout outs to some past people that he's worked with. So if you're listening, you may hear your name. Um, and I think that there's a the, the last couple of points is this building client experience is around thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. It's not around buying technology. He's worked in technology companies, he's worked at custodian, but to build a client experience, it's about thoughtfulness. And he uses dominoes as an example there. Um, and you'll get a study about how our perception of what we think we're delivering to our clients and what they perceive may be slightly off. And so it's just an enthralling uh podcast, I think that you're going to take a lot away from it. There's a ton of examples. There's tons of action items. Um, and Nelson is just you know a wealth of knowledge from all of his experiences that he's had. And so I, I, I can't wait for you to listen. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Bridging the Gap. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Nelson Green, what's going on, my friend? Thanks for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. Welcome to the show. Matt, happy to be here. It's exciting to uh, to have you on. Um, I, I think that you're going to be able to provide a ton of of detail, and and I know we talk frequently, but uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. I think that there's so much to talk about from your experiences and and your industry knowledge uh, that a lot of advisors are going to be able to learn from. And you know, to kick things off and help everybody understand just where you come from and your background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're, you're calling us from Jacksonville. Um, that's the beauty of technology, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, obviously my name is Nelson. <laughs> um, I've been in the industry for close to about a decade, right? And uh, worked in a few different capacities, whether it's banking, fintech, uh, custodial, and, and then back to technology. Um it's been a really fun ride. It's definitely been a little bumpy, but uh, I have learned a good amount uh, throughout that time and really how to help advisors create a, a best-in-class client experience. And really where that started was, uh, of all places, banking. Um, I graduated and it was kind of height of the recession. I had a, a small job for a little while working for the YMCA, um, and that was rewarding in its own self, but uh, it actually led to creating a fiscal literacy program, which was uh, conducted by a local credit union here. Uh, I did that for a little while, and the credit union actually hired me as a personal banker. And then um, after a few years, what happened is I had a, a good friend of mine who was working for Black Diamond, which is a portfolio management system here that's based in Jacksonville. And... You know, we started talking and he was telling me all about this new technology and he said, you need to come apply. 
So I went over to Black Diamond, uh, worked there for uh, roughly four years, I believe. And I did everything from client servicing to implementation to solutions consulting, uh, all the way up in kind of like a pre-sales role. Um, just a phenomenal experience, phenomenal organization in itself. Uh, did that for a little while and actually through Black Diamond, just meeting kind of the, these partners in the industry itself. I was up in uh, Jersey City doing a presentation for TD Ameritrade, and um, <clears throat> that conversation kind of led into a, a job opportunity, becoming a vice president of technology for TD Ameritrade on the institutional side. I uh, did that for about 18 months, which I'm sure we'll dive into about why it was so short-lived. Uh, everyone here can probably guess why. And then I joined Benjamin and Rockstar team here, Matt, you know that, and it's been a, a great ride. So really unique in the sense that I've done everything from banking to technology to custody and now back in technology. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such an interesting journey for with, you know, in such a short period of time, right? I think that there's so many nuances that you see in both technology firms and then custodial firms. And then, you know, I think there's some drastic differences with banking, but there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from the banking side over to wealth management and how you know, some things that we can learn and some things that we can learn not to do. You know, I think that, you know, you, you mentioned the why, the, that job at the YMCA and the literacy program. You know, where does the passion for this industry stem from for you, right? This is such a unique industry that it's kind of like a, um, it's almost cultish because like everybody inside gets it, but everybody outside doesn't really get it. Um, and, you know, where does the passion for this industry really stem from for you? Yeah, it's a great question. And funny enough, it actually came from banking. And uh, I tell this story a lot because it's, it's so powerful. Um, so, you know, a personal banker, right? You're doing everything from loan origination to, um, you know, working on fraud deals. It, it, it's a very uh, multifaceted um, um, job. So I'm sitting in the branch one day and uh, someone comes in and, you know, we're, we're kind of standing around the front waiting for people to come into the door. And she pulls me over to the side a little bit and she says, you know, I need to talk to you. So I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, let's talk. The whole job is talking to people. So let's do this. And she's like, well, can we go to your office? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of sensing right now that something's up, right? Yeah, this is a little bit more unique than just a standard, hey, you know, I need a credit card. Um, so we go to my office and we're kind of talking and, you know, being a little bit light and breezy here. And she says, uh, yeah, I need, to, I need to talk to you about something. Um, I had overdraft fees on my account and this was the first time i've ever done this and she's kind of like you know not making eye contact being a little bit more standoffish so i'm like yeah that's fine let's take a look pulled up had two 25 you know basically overdraw fees um so i was kind of talking to her about it i was like yeah you know tell me what happened and i was like yeah these fees are arbitrary in my mind so i just wave them and i tell her i said hey you know we we waive these don't worry about it you know you haven't had any fees in the past um that are relevant to this type of situation. So let's just get rid of them. And that she just starts breaking down in my office, like tears streaming down. She's got her head tied down on my desk, both hands. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm freaked out because at the point that I'm 23 years old, right? And I don't really know how to handle these types of situations, right? Um, and so, I, you know, people are looking at me thinking like, what did you say to this lady that's making her cry, you know? Um, so I'm sitting here, not really knowing what's happening. And finally, she looks up. She's like, thank you. Thank you. Um, that $50 was my allocated amount for groceries this week. 
And just, you know, we mm. take this kind of stuff for granted. But man, I just kind of sat there and I had chills just running right through my body. Like money is so emotional for people. And when you see these type of stories happen right in front of you and you see it firsthand, it's like, wow, you know, that that was such an impactful moment for me. And it's one of the moments I always think about just because this this is an industry that is very, very much uh, tied to emotion. And I knew right then and there that I wanted to stay in this industry and help people like that lady. And, you know, obviously now it's a little bit different, but I think we are providing uh, services that do help that end investor in this case. In this case, it was a retail banker, but you know, it was just a very powerful experience for me. And it's one that's really, really stuck with me. And it's one that's kind of kept my, my moral compass pointing north when you think about what we're doing and how we're doing and who we're impacting. Yeah, I think that is a, uh, it gave me chills just thinking about it. I think, you know, back to my days of, um, you know, working when I financial, doing financial advising work, right? And and that's the beauty of being a financial advisor is the impact that you have in every conversation you have with a prospect or a client is in, and can be life-changing. And I think that that's the beauty of it. Like you really see the fruits of your labor uh, within your clients, because if you can help them retire, you can help them buy the house, or you can help them, uh, you know, buy that that desired car, or go on that vacation with the family, and come in with joy and and send you postcards. That's an amazing feeling of, um, you know, fulfillment in your job and your role. And I think that not only can advisors do that, but it's everybody inside of a firm has that opportunity. And you know, I heard it from our teams of CSAs and CSMs and everything of that nature of you know, when, when the clients called and told them like how fulfilled and happy it made them, uh, this industry from the outside can be looked at sometimes as, um, you know, in, in a different light. But when you're inside of it and you see the impact that's being had, it's pretty incredible when it's by the uh, the good guys and gals. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that it, it, go on. Oh, no. You, one, one of the things you kind of struck a chord when you're talking about that is just the power of this industry. And one of the things that I've always kind of thought that was really just interesting is, you know, we, we think about this as advising people, helping with their plans and helping with their investments. And, and the investments, obviously, there's a direct correlation uh, with money there. But, you know, what are you really advising on as a financial advisor? Is it really the money? But when you look at it, you know, time is really just derivative of money in the sense that you have someone that works 80,000 hours in their life. 80,000 hours, okay? And then they get to this point where they're done in that accumulation stage and they have this nest egg of hours that they really just, you know, dedicated their entire life to. And you think about the sacrifices, the, you know, the times they couldn't put their kid to bed because they were working like the, you know, the soccer games they had missed. All those are sacrifices that that person has made throughout the entire life to accumulate this nest egg. And then they give it to a financial advisor all that time in their life, something they cannot get back. They give all that time to the financial advisor and ask them to basically protect them, protect this nest egg that I've worked my entire life for. That is so powerful to me. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's such an amazing way of putting it, right? The 80,000 hours in their life that they've dedicated and sacrificed and and that's the and the thing about retirement and wealth management and savings and financial advice and that's what makes this industry so amazing is that these people only have one shot at it. It's not like you get two shots. Like it's not like you can, you know, fail at retirement 
and and then go back and do it again. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that's not how life works. Some people may have that opportunity if they retire like 40 and then really fail at it and come back. But that's a rarity. The majority, 99% of us have one shot and they're entrusting us as advisors and us as an industry to lead them and navigate them and help them ensure that they make the most of that one shot. And to have that type of responsibility, gosh, that's such a great responsibility to have and, uh, and an impact that you can have uh, on individuals. And you know, I always, I always dive into with guests on the show you know, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan, and uh, I think that you know, you know, what what kind of risen him into fame, I think, is you know, understanding your why, right? What is your why? Uh, and he always does this great example. And there's a YouTube clip out there. It's called the Golden Circle. Uh, why does Apple command loyalty? Is the YouTube out there? But he talks about he compares Apple and Dell, and 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 he talks about. You know how Dell says that they sell computers, right? That's what their business is. That's what they do. But Apple says we're trying to change and innovate the way that you, you know, impact the world. That's their why. And oh, by happenstance, we actually sell computers as well. It's a different way to frame what you do, right? Um, you know, I, I run this podcast, right? That's something I do, but that's not the why behind why I do it. The why is because I want to create a community around this industry to create change and positive change to enable you know, us as an industry to serve and create more relationships with more individuals because that will ultimately better this, this world in the financial world. And I think I see where your why is. But if you were to have to state your why, you know, like to Simon Sinek, you have the chance. I am Simon Sinek, okay? I'm talking to you and I say, what is your why? What is your why of what you, why you do what you do? I think everyone deserves to be happy. And if you think there is not a correlation in life between wealth and happiness, uh, you know, you're not living on this planet. Um, so my why has always been, you know, to help others uh, in order, whether that's financially, whether it's you know, mentally, whether it's just being a good friend, help them have happiness in their life. And I think, you know, what's always drawn me to this, this industry is just there's such a correlation between wealth and happiness. And this is not to say that money buys happiness. I don't believe that. I'm not a very materialistic person by any means, but having that security in your life to do the things that matter most to you, take care of the people that matter most to you is incredibly important. And if I can help people do that directly or indirectly, it, it's it, what gets, it gets me out of bed, you know, to be all yeah. all reality here. That's awesome. I love that. Happiness. Happiness is driven. And, and it's not to be like you said, misconstrued that money buys happiness because this industry is also not we, we deal with money, but that's just an aspect of the of the job. You know, there's a ton of psychology and tons of, you know, handholding and, 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 and guiding that's going on. And I, I always say that, you know, 90 percent of our job as financial advisors is being a psychologist. Uh, in this industry, as opposed to the other 10%, which is just about dealing with the money and, and managing that. Um, and, and I think that that kind of is a good transition into, you know, let's talk about this industry, right? I think that there's sometimes misperceptions and there's sometimes challenges within the industry. Uh, and you've had, you know, you've been really, you know, firsthand with it, serving advisors for much of your career. Um, and you met a lot of them, both at your days at TD, um, you know, now, now, now Charles Schwab, but at TD and at Black Diamond, you know, what was advisors' hesitation 
you know, with adopting a more focused and enhanced client experience? What was it a lack of understanding? Was it a lack of desire? What was it that kept them from, you know, building that more enhanced client experience for each of their clients? Yeah, a few different things. And obviously, it's going to depend on the type of advisor. Um, but I think it kind of comes down to the three verticals here. Um, you can look at it from a cost vertical, a disruption to their overall business, and then just the overall learning curve. And, and I'm putting this kind of under the guise of, you know, you're probably going to need some type of technology to help you create this client experience, whether that is somewhat of, uh, you know, call it a portal where you're interacting with the individual client or whether you're using technology just to free your time up in order to create and cater that specific client experience. So I think those three things are, are the ones that I saw the most, whether it was at Black Diamond, whether it was at TD Ameritrade. Because, um, you know, when you, when you look at each of them, cost, um, advising this industry can be stingy. It's it's not a bad thing. It's just they're, they're very cost conscious. You know, they're advising people all the time to save more and spend less, right? So you can't really blame them for being cost prohibitive when you think about uh, you know, making capital expenditures for technology. Um, when you think about disruption to business, uh, I actually heard another podcast where it was an advisor staff of roughly five people. And he had, I think, 60% of his staff quit. Uh, and it was in a matter of like two weeks, right? So when you have that type of disruption to your business, uh, so you can't focus on other things. So I think they're being very cautious about you know, what is this going to do as far as the time taken away from me from managing investments, helping people with planning and, and obviously being a coach for a lot of my clients. And then the learning curve, you know, it's no secret that this is a, a very uh, uh, more seasoned industry, if I'm being politically correct. Right. And not all, all those advisors are technically savvy. And listen, that can be daunting. Learning a whole new piece of technology, a brand new platform, revolutionizing the way you're doing business. That can be scary. Um, so those are the three things, and they're very warranted verticals when I'm talking about them. But those are the ones that really do kind of stand out to me when thinking about what's stopping advisors from um, maybe changing their business a little bit by leveraging different pieces of technology. Yeah, I, I think that those three verticals are really you know spot on, right? You know, cost con cost conscious. Uh, disruption to business. I mean, this is an industry, we are a risk averse industry, right? And so uh, we're always going to have that kind of uh, loss aversion mentality where, you know, we could go and, you know, do X, Y, and Z and make, you know, X more and deliver X more value to the client. But if we don't do it right, then it could, you know, make us lose some, or we could just stay in the status quo that we know so well and um and we just we would still continue just to do what we're doing and that's known right it's like kind of like the example of the whole loss aversion of daniel kahneman's study of loss aversion was you know if i give you a a coin i'll give you you know zero dollars if it, it lands on tails i'll give you two hundred dollars if it lands on heads uh, and some people uh, you know they don't like to do that because then the other part of the experiment was i'll just give you a hundred dollars which one do you want if you look at it from a mathematical standpoint, both are the same because it's 50-50 odds on heads or tails. So that equals $100. Or you go with the kind of what's the known of getting $100 and everybody just goes with $100. And that shows you know loss aversion and risk aversion, the ability of losing. And I think that advisors have that so much and it keeps them from innovating. That's why this industry has been so slow to really innovate. In that's in this space. And so, you know, I, I one of the things that I, I, I hear from you all the time 
as you talk to advisors and you talk to others, as you talk about product price and experience, and you kind of did that a little bit there. And, um, you know, to me, when you talk about product price and experience, you, you have really two of the three, 66% of that equation is pretty much identical across the space, right? The product that we serve, that we deliver is pretty much the same. Right. Wealth management, there's very small nuances. You can't really differentiate yourself on the product, right? Because it's financial wealth management. Price, again, I know that there is some disruption here that's trying to get into the space of price disruption. But in reality, financial advice has a standard price. And and it's shown that people are willing to pay that price. So the only often place to really differentiate is on experience. But too often people in this industry, like you were saying, are inhibited by those three other pillars to focus on you know, the last one. They focus on the first two and try to differentiate there, but they're not really doing much differentiation. So, so for the listener that's saying, yes, I want to change my client experience, client experience, what does that mean to you? Yeah, fair, fair question. And let me take a step back because the product price experience was really born out of the TD Ameritrade uh, days. And, and you know, just a shout out to that incredible organization and more incredible people. I mean, when, uh, Craig Centron was my direct report and uh, Greg Minifee was his direct report. And there was not a day that went by where we didn't talk about client experience and product price experience. Um, so, you know, I have to give credit to them. This is not something that obviously I thought of in my mind. Um, but, you know, it just kind of talks about how focused they were on advisors. And that was just a, an incredible organization, incredible people over there. So just a shout out to TV first. Um, so going back to the question, what does that mean to me for a client experience? Um, you know, when, when I think about a really stellar experience, it's around thoughtfulness, right? Is this company that I'm doing business with, whether buying a product or, or getting services, taking the time to think about how they're doing business with me? Right. And I'll give you an example of all things. This is Domino's. Okay. I'm always a big Domino's fan. I think they kill it. Right? <laughs> Me too. I am so much. My wife loves Papa John's, but I am such more of the Domino's guy. I, I, I don't understand. Domino's excels in everything from that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know there are a bunch of advisors, especially in the Northeast, probably, you know, rubbing their temples right now because we're talking about <laughs> Domino's pizza. <laughs> and uh, to be fair, the Domino's is, is not necessarily like my go-to pizza, right? I'm not a pizza snob by any means, but, you know, Domino's is not like, oh, wow, this is really, really phenomenal. <laughs> but they have killed it in the client experience. And let me tell you why, you know, when we moved back here to Jacksonville from Jersey City. Um, it was one of those nights where, you know, we were just kind of busy all day. We're like, okay, we need something quick and fast. Let's get Domino's. So this is in COVID world. I think it was like uh, maybe May or May or June. And, um, you know, one, you do it directly through the app, right? So it's digital engagement. I can order that pizza and have it to my door, you know, within 30 minutes in and out. That's great. But the neat thing and going back thoughtfulness about how Domino's views their customers and views the, the environment they're in. Um, you know, we get a ring on the door and no one's, uh, you know, no one's sitting there. They just kind of left the food right at the front door. But the thing that really stood out to me, and this is so small, but so important, they left the food right in front of the door, but underneath the food, they had this small cardboard box that they must have, you know, bought millions of these things. And the idea was like, no one wants to go and pick up their food off the ground, 
So what they did, they just put a little box underneath all the food and was branded with Domino's saying, you know, stay safe in COVID. I don't remember the exact terminology or what was actually written on that box. But just the fact that they took the time to think about, hey, you know what? People probably don't want to eat pizza off the ground. Let's put a little cardboard box there. Shows that they're really thinking about their clients. And that thoughtfulness has always really resonated with me. So when I think about client experience, I think it comes down to being thoughtful around who you're doing business with and trying to make that experience either more personal, more enlightening or easier in the end. Yeah, I'm so I'm so there with you. And I think that we as advisors have a tough time doing that, right? Because I think we're, you know, we're still so focused on the investment side of it. And I think that some firms do it really well. And I'm going to be interested to hear kind of from your perspective what they do. But I, I want to go down a rabbit hole here of something that I've been passionate about uh, over the past couple of months is, you know, especially as I've continued to dive deeper and deeper into client experience within this industry and how much we're just missing the mark as an industry. We think that our clients love us, but we never really ask them. We just believe it because they stay with us, right? Um, and, you know, I look at like the Netflixes and the Facebooks of the world, and I've done talks on this, and I'm really big on how Netflix and Facebook are actually changing the way that advisors should be doing business. And, and, and it's all around our clients are using these systems and products and platforms more and more. So our core clients are a higher percentage of them are using these platforms. You know, and think about Amazon as well. You can throw them in there. The beauty, what, what is the beauty of these systems? They deliver the most unique and personalized client experience and user experience of any software we've ever seen in our history. And they're able to utilize the data and the information of of how we interact and how people like us interact, what articles they like, what movies, what genres, what times. And then they recommend to us what we should read. And so we just continue just to scroll and just watch and we don't have to put any thought into it. And it's just like, wow, they just get me. And the thing is, is that financial advisors have so much more data than both of those companies combined because clients open up to us about their worries, their fears, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their ambitions, their families, their financial situation, everything. But the thing is that we are really bad at as an industry at aggregating that information up and acting upon it. When we have the we have the opportunity to segment our clients based on this data and communicate with them in a unique way, but rather we still just segment them based on age and AUM, and we haven't gotten away from that. And so, you know, I think that I, I I'd be interested to know, you know, why is that? And and I think it goes back to your three verticals, but. You know, we now have the roadmap, right? We know how the Netflix algorithm works and the Facebook algorithm works. Like, why can't we just take small baby steps as an industry and 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 just get over that hump of focusing on product and price and start focusing more on client experience? Why is it so hard for advisors just to get over that that hump? Do you think? Oh man, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me let me try to attack it a few different ways here. Um, first, let me go back to what you were talking about earlier, we think that we're offering this really great experience. Um, and this goes back to a presentation I did when I was with uh, TD Institutional. Um, you know, we, we talked about this, right? And it's this thing we call the experience gap. So Gardner, which is a, you know, a large organization, went out and talked to um, a ton of different executives, right? And they said roughly 90% of them said that client experience is going to be our go-to strategy for growth, okay? Uh, Bain and Company, which is another large organization, went out and said, hey, um, we're going to do this research. And they found that 80% of them thought that 
they really delivered this unique, great client experience. Okay. So you have 89 that said they're going to do it. 80% said that they are already doing it. But when they went out and they talked to the individual clients of these organizations they surveyed, how many, what, what percent do you think that they said they got a really great client experience? Maybe uh, I'm going to go really low ball it here and say five. Eight percent. I was 8%. close. Yeah, you were. I was hoping you'd say something like 40. You killed me, Matt. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's crazy. You have 80 percent. So four out of five of these executives are saying we are killing it in client experience. And then you look at the actual clients of these organizations, 8%. That's a huge gap when you think about it, right? So I brought that up because you thought, or when you said something about, you know, thinking about putting a really great client experience there, the reality is, you know, you're probably, uh, your gap is much lower, right? Because of the intimacy of these relationships that you do have, but there still is always a gap there. And you always have the opportunity as an advisor to make a better, a better client experience. Um, Tagging on to this, and I apologize for just kind of rambling on here. Um, you talked about, you know, what's stopping people. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier on the behavioral economics side. Uh, Richard Thaler wrote uh, very detailed in his book, Misbehaving, uh, which is a book on behavioral economics and just kind of like these inconsistencies about how we think about money. Um, he talked about the endowment effect, right? So the things that we have in our possession, we value more than the alternatives, right? And it kind of goes back to your, your loss aversion. He talks about that quite a bit. Um, but you think about this, you, you walk into your office, you're an advisor, you have your office, your technology, your staff, all that is more valuable to you because you own it, right? Because that's yours, that's what you're used to. So it's incredibly tough for advisors to make that change because you're just, you're, you're kind of in doubt with all these things that are basically contributing to the success of your business today. And I think it's tough for advisors to get past that endowment effect when you think about just making those large capital changes in your office. Uh, there are ways to get past it. And one of the things we did when we were at TD is just, especially for the breakaway brokers, right? The ones that may be at the, the Wells or the Merrills and they're thinking about going independent, but they're like, yeah, my life is pretty good. You know, <laughs> they're endowed with that life they have today. So it's scary to take a leap and go and go and change. So a uh, few of the ways we talked to them about kind of getting past this endowment effect we're really around, you know, acknowledging it first, right? That this is what is happening. You, this thing that's happening to you, your endowment effect is real and you need to acknowledge that. Um, but there's a reason you've called us, right? At TD, you're obviously curious about going independent or there's a reason an advisor called a technology company. They're curious about potentially enhancing the technology they have in their office. So you have to kind of keep that in focus. Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Advisor, there's a reason that you're exploring these conversations. There may be something deep down that you have this desire to go independent, this desire to revolutionize your technology, desire to just change things up in your office, right? So we always kind of talk about that as well as acknowledgement. And then talking to your peers. You know, this is a great industry because you can learn a lot directly from your peers. So, you know, we'd always try to bring in... Um, individuals that may have kind of struggled with this endowment effect in the past, just to kind of help them understand that the light is at the end of the tunnel. You just kind of have to walk down it. Um, so th those are kind of the, the two things I would focus on the most, just that there is this big experience gap and that the fact that, you know, you are endowed with what you have today and, and that's always going to be more valuable to you, even though that may not be uh, intrinsically valuable, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I love that. The endowment effect is a great, I mean, behavioral psychology, behavioral economics is one of my favorite, um, you know, sciences, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, which it is, uh, to study because it, it's the nature of how we think and why we make the decisions in, in you know, just uh, in ta- like underneath everything, right? Uh, why we make our decisions and money causes irrationality. And, and so it's so important there. And, you know, touch on one thing, rambling is part of the podcast. That's all I do on the podcast. So um, continue to ramble. That's what that's what everybody loves to hear, because sometimes we always say something good as we ramble. Um, and that's what I've that's what I've found. Um, but, you know, the other thing that you that's really interesting is that that study that you're talking about with the 80 percent thing to deliver a great client experience and then 8 percent of the clients that that that, uh, that actually see it or perceive that value. You know, it, it's so interesting in, in our industry. I bet you, you know, you could go out and ask the clients, you know, how they're perceiving the client experience when things are good. And I bet you it's gonna be really high. Right. Yeah. And then you're going to go and ask them when the markets are bad and it's probably gonna be really low. And you know that's the that's actually an, an underlying issue I think or challenge not issue challenge that us as an industry have to overcome because what that's showing is that there's still a dependence from the from the perspective of the client that the focus is on performance and as advisors we all know that performance is the thing that is least uh, most difficult to to control right we can try to do asset allocation we can try to do you know tax loss harvesting, we can try to do timing of the markets, everything of that nature, but that's the hardest thing to control. What we should spend more time is, is controlling their emotions and helping them go and reach goals that they can control, right? The things that they can control is the amount of savings. The things that they it's hard to control is the return on those savings. Uh, the expectations is something that can be controlled and the realization of those expectations is something that you can help guide them to. And I think that that's, a, you know, that's just an underlying, you know, difference in our industry of, of another challenge that we just have to overcome. And I think that we have to overcome that in order to get to being able to focus on client experience full and wholeheartedly because we spend so much time on the performance side of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and to your point, you know, talking about expectations and temperaments doing during down markets, I mean, look what just happened in February and March. And there's a lot of studies out there saying advisors lost, you know, anywhere from 20 to 25% of their book of business. Uh, I don't know if that was uh, due to actual client attrition or if they had actual figures in there that were representative of, uh, you know, market fluctuations. But the interesting part about that was the correlation of advisors that really started to leverage different digital tools during this time and how successful they were, whether this was going digital with meetings, uh, adopting digital signatures, which it's it's a must. Digital signatures are a must today in the industry. Or just trying to be there more and more often through mass communication to your book of business. I think those three things, right, were really important and it differentiated the advisors who are going to have success in the futures and the ones that did lose, you know, 20, 25% of their book of business because they didn't have those technology tools to either effectively communicate or provide guidance during these down points in the market. Yeah. I think that there's the, the, the trap that every advisor can fall into is like, well, that wasn't me. You know, so I'm fine. Right. So that wasn't me. I'm good. I, I, I you know, that's everybody else. Right. And that is a scary trap to fall into. Um, you know, it's the same trap that the, you know, the AIGs and the Lehman, Lehman brothers fell into as well. You know, that's not, that's everybody else doing it. We're fine. We're doing it the right way. Um, and, uh, and we saw kind of the struggles that they did. And, you know, I always go back to, you know, the story of Ford and GM in 2008, right? Ford was, you know, trying to work with GM because their supply chain was, you know, 
was hurt. And so they wanted to work together with the industry to try to overcome that together. But GM had this mentality of, don't worry about it. We're fine. You know, it's not our problem. We got this mentality of we're better than everybody else. And all of this stuff that's happening is happening to them. And Ford was like, let's just work together on this. And they didn't. And what happened was, is that Ford excelled. And, um, Whereas, you know, GM didn't necessarily excel. And, and it's because they had that mentality. I think that advisors see these statistics of other firms and like, well, that's not us. And that's a really dark and challenging thought process to have. It's good to be, you know, proud of what you are. Um, but it's also very, it can be detrimental if you let that overshadow what's actually happening in the industry. And so, you know, I, I think I want to end this client experience conversation. And then I want to, I want to dive into one other area real before we head out is you've seen firms do this really well. Is there some, you know, actionable pinpointed like ideas or, or ways that you've seen firms do really great job of client experience and enhancing that relative to, um, you know, the rest? Is there some areas that you could point to on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's every advisor, every firm is going to be a little different, but the ones that have always really resonated with me are, are ones that have taken the approach that we know who our ideal client is, and that's who we're going to go after, right? And this is not you know anything mind blowing in the industry is being able to dissect your book of business and really analyze who you're working with, and when you have that that data and you really truly understand who your clientele you know, your clientele are and, and who you enjoy working with, it becomes much easier to create and curate a, a really powerful client experience. Uh, one of the stories that I heard, and this is such a great example. So they did a book of business dissection, right? And it's the AUM, it's the age, but they started taking all these notes around hobbies and what people, their investors really love to do. And one of these advisors found that you know, I have a lot of runners. These people are doing marathons. They're doing group runs. They're you know constantly on the road, jogging, jogging around. So, and he liked working with them. So he's like, well, what if I could get more runners? These are great clients that I have here. So what he was able to do is kind of a multifaceted approach about targeting uh, more and more of these runners as their ideal clients. And he talked about uh, group runs, which group runs are free, right? We have them here in Jacksonville, everywhere. And basically what this is, is you meet up at you know, either a restaurant or a brewery and you go for a quick you know, 5K, but you're doing it all together and it's free. It's not like you have to drop 35 bucks to go run a 5K. Um, he, he said, hey, Mr. and Mrs. such and such investor, like I'd love to come and just kind of quickly give a quick pitch on this, this running group and talk to them about the service I do. And since everyone's sitting there about five minutes for the run and stretching, they were to come on there and say, hey, you know, I work with so-and-so over here. Uh, I'm able to help them in such and such ways. And it was just a great way to have more exposure to this subtype of investors that uh, he had and was able to attract more and more business because he's doing things like that. And then on the same token, you know, being able to spend marketing dollars on areas like your 5Ks, putting up like a a water tent during a run and being able to go out there for, you know, call it 20 bucks of water and have some of your staff give out water bottles for people that are running this race. Like they'll remember you for things like that. But more importantly, they're going to think, wow, this person I see every week at this running group, he seems to, you know, be <laughs> normal, right? So <laughs> if they're working with this advisor, maybe I should be working with this advisor. 
you know? So it all kind of comes down to the experience you're curating based on the existing data you have in your book of business and leaning in to some of those uh, specific uh, niches that you do have within your book of business that you may not even be aware of. So I think the folks that really do kill it from a client experience perspective, understand that, you know, instead of trying to be all things to all people, try and find a specific niche that works for you and you enjoy working with and then lean into that. Yeah, really understanding who it is that you are and you want to serve and really kind of not being like, well, I just want to serve the retiree. Well, what type of retiree? Do you want yeah. like the the ultra high net worth that expect a family office? Do you want the millionaire next door? Do you want blue collar, white collar? Do you want, well, you know, what, what, what do you want in that, in your client? I think that so many people have a difficulty because they're like, well, you know, I have like a client here and a client there, but what's your 80, 20, right? Who do you want to serve one? And what does your clientele look like today? And if it doesn't look like who you want to serve, you may need to figure it out, but should look like what you, your clientele should look like who you wanted to serve. And then start focusing on the 80%. And maybe, yeah, you'll have some 20% that are attracted and that you can serve, but really focus on that 80% of it as well. And, and I think I, the, the last point that I wanted to touch on before I get to the final question that I ask everybody, and it's not, uh, it's not like how I built this of, you know, does it take luck or, or skill? Um, you know, I love that question, but I'm not going to do it on this podcast uh, because that is, that is, that's his. Um, but the, the millennial generation, right? There's a, the generational transfer of wealth is a topic and it's a hot topic. And it's a, it's a topic that I think is always talked about at, at conferences and virtual conferences and webinars and everything of that nature, uh, especially by the custodians and, and by some of the larger players in the industry. But I think it falls on deaf ears to advisors because it's so far out, right? And it's like, gosh, you know, I don't want to build my business for 25 years down the road because you know I, I can't really make money on these people and I need cash flow to be able to pay for our expenses today. And so it's kind of like they've they've put it off on the back burner because it's not that big of a problem and it's not going to be like a, a huge rush all at once. It's going to be more of a trickle effect. But I think that they're missing out on something, right? This is a, because it's so hard to um, to make it profitable. So a two-part question here is, how do you think that advisors can look at this opportunity of the wealth transfer and, and create it as a profitable opportunity? And then the second is, is, what do the millennial generation from your perspective want from their advisor so that financial advisors can start thinking about their client experience to serve you know, maybe this new segment or new business line of clientele? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome question. And uh, per usual, I'm probably going to ramble on. Um, let, let's start off here with the reality. When this transfer of wealth ends, it's not going to happen at once. It's going to happen over decades. As it happens, 80% of those heirs, the ones receiving these inheritance, are going to find a new financial advisor. That's crazy to think about, okay? Staggering. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts to think about, right? So, you know, you have to be engaging this uh, tail end of Gen X millennials because, you know, you, the, the statistics are out there. 80% of your book of business is going to go away. They're not going to stick with you. Um, whether it's not a cultural fit, whether they just don't feel comfortable with you, whether they don't know you. Um, and I think there are a lot of things that advisors can be doing today to really prepare for this. And these are not things that are going to be you know, ultra time intensive, right? Because no one really has the time to take on these huge, huge initiatives. Um, but I think millennials and Taylor and Gen X, they really appreciate the educational standpoint of this, right? So how are you helping me make better decisions today, even though I'm not a client, right? And you can think about this from more of like a an episodic nature in the sense that, all right, I'm 33, I think. 
Uh, I'm 33. Like, what's going to be happening to me in the next five years, next 10 years? And how can my financial advisor or my parents' financial advisor or my grandparents' parents' financial advisor make an impact on those things that are going to be happening to me just because of you know what's happening in my life cycle? So whether that's getting married, whether it's having a kid, buying a house, getting divorced, these four things I'm talking about here, and there, there's tons of them out there. You can provide guidance on those things, whether it's just a, a white paper, whether it's a quick video, whether it's some content you're creating as an advisor, and then distribute that through these multi-generational uh, silos. Meaning like, give you a great example, and I actually heard an advisor do this, uh, working with you know matriarch, patriarch, and then children. Children were Gen X, uh, and because they were Gen X, they were obviously progressing in their career. So the advisor works with this, uh, their client and says, hey, you know, how is Timmy doing, right? And, and Timmy is trying to rise the corporate ladder. Oh, he's doing great. He's actually going to be going up for a job interview. Oh, great. Hey, I'd love to do a mock interview with him just so I can help him get prepared for that. That takes, what, 30, 45 minutes out of your day. And now you can do it via Zoom. Now you can do it via phone call. But that advisor has just provided value to that heir apparent to their investor, right? Do you think they're more likely or less likely to get that inheritance when that transfer of wealth happens for that particular client because of that 30, 45 minute conversation? Again, it goes back to just being thoughtful about what you can be doing because of the skill set you have in an advisor to help impact positively all the lives of these, these generations that are going to be, you know, potentially leaving you down the road after this transfer of wealth happens. I love that. I love that small piece of information, right? Let me do it. Let me, you know, but that takes listening and understanding, right? Listening to what the needs are, talking to your clients about their kids, letting them asking, you know, the right questions about their kids to get that information so that you can find a way to provide value as opposed to being like, how can I help your kids? You want me just to talk to them? No, no, no. Here's a specific need that's going to make yeah. you memorable to that, to that child that's going to change their tra trajectory of life. And it took you 30 minutes. And, and that's just such a simple, you know, elegant way of, of kind of communicating with the next generation. I love it. Um, well, I mean, we can talk about this forever. We can talk about client experience. I think this is something that I'm passionate about. I, think, I know that you're passionate about it. Um, but, you know, there are, you know, the listeners on here do have, have lives. And so they don't necessarily want to hear from us, you know, forever. Uh, and I want to be really cautious of that. But I always wrap this podcast up with this one question. And it's something that I've been intrigued by for a long period of time. Um, and, and it's the question of why is our industry going to be forced to change now, right? And the background of this question is that our industry has been talking about firms need to change for years. I mean, decades. I, I remember when I first got into the industry, um, right at you know, the Great Recession, it was always about, you know, hey, you got to change. Like in 10 years, you're going to be left in the dust if you don't change. Then robo-advisors came out really quickly after and saying, you know, advisors are going to be gone. So you got to adopt X, Y, and Z. But the thing is that advisors have never really changed that much, right? We still do business the same exact way. Um, and the reason is, is because business continues to grow. They continue to make good money. They continue to grow their clientele base. And so I've, I'm... I'm trying to find when is that 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 turning point, right? Was it COVID that was that turning point? Why is it? Why are advisors going to be forced to change um, now relative to the decades in the past when we're talking about it? And so I ask you, why is now the time that advisors are going to be forced to change? And if they don't, then in 10 years, they're going to be left in the dust. 
Yeah, it should be no surprise that the technology guy is going to say technology is the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's way more than that, right? You look at what's been happening and being able to create a curated digital advice that's kind of DIY to some degree. And listen, as a millennial, I, I appreciate the DIY aspect of it. But technology is changing so fast. And primarily, it's been on the retail side which is kind of a negative for the advisors because the easier those platforms, whether it's the user interface, the, you know, the predictive an- analytics that can provide back to these retail investors, you know, that's attractive to them. However, you know, and just to kind of go on tangent here, you look at the Robin Hoods of the world, right? And the, the Weebles and all these uh, in- individual kind of uh, discount brokers, well, zero, zero percent commission brokers. Um, the average account size is 1,000 to 5,000. Okay, so these are not big bucks that are being traded, you know, as an average. Okay, so you think about this. If this person were to get a million dollar check tomorrow, are they really going to be managing that themselves? Are they going to be taking the risks that they take today uh, with that, you know, large nest egg that could potentially be it for them, right? And the answer is no. They're going to need the financial advice. But in order to come back and go full circle here, it's all going to come back to the technology that the advisor is being able to use, engage with, and have a, a, an overall easy, personal, and lightning experience for this, uh, this end investor. Um, I know I went on some, some tangents there. Did I accurately answer that question for you, Matt? Uh, you did. I think you did. And, and I think that your point about like the, the um, you know, I think that your point about people not wanting to manage a million dollars and they're trading on Robinhood at 5000 or 1000 or $500 it goes to the the reason you need to adopt a next gen strategy in the first place. I think that you answered both the past question and this question in that one, because I always say that a reason that someone hires a financial advisor is one, they know what they're doing, but they just don't want to do it anymore themselves. Uh, two, they don't know what they're doing and they have no, they need direction there. Or three, they've come into so much mo- a large amount of money that they, they don't feel comfortable doing by themselves anymore. So they've been doing by themselves, but they don't feel comfortable. And you nailed it, right? And that's going to happen in this generational shift uh, of wealth. And you need to have an, an ability to, to capture it as well. So, and, and I think the technology and the experience, because those generations are going to be using that technology and have that experience and they're going to expect it in the future. And if you don't have it, you're going to push them away and they're going to go find someone that does. Because I'll tell you, there's so many advisors out there that are innovative and forward thinking that they're, they're investing time and money into figuring out this client experience. And it's not just by building technology, but it's about integrating technology, building the right process and utilizing the technology to the fullest potential. I think that that's where you nailed it right there. Uh, and so, you know, Nelson, I think this has been a, an amazing conversation and, and some people that listen to the podcast may want to connect with you, uh, may want to talk with you further, get more of your, you know, you know, dig into some more of your knowledge. How can they connect with you uh, if they want to? Yeah. So email is nelson at getbenjamin.com. And I, I'll tell you this, I love having these conversations around creating a really powerful client experience and, uh, you know, Time permitting, I'll do them all day. So if you have any questions or you just want to ideate, let's uh, let's connect. I love that. Well, Nelson, thanks for joining us on Bridging the Gap, man. What an awesome conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 